You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. You want to know why she's attending a racist and festival that excludes people. And I'm thinking, actually, I'm attending a festival that includes people. (laughs) Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talking about how her agent was giving her feedback on how people were saying, oh, why would she be a part of a festival that excludes people? And I love how she just flipped it and said, nah, I'm specifically coming to this one because it includes people. It includes my people. And that's important. I can honestly say that Chimamanda was on Fear of the Free Child podcast in a sense. (laughs) And hopefully I'll be able to say that without that in a sense qualifier. But this is cool. I'm really excited to share this episode. I hope you're feeling good as you're listening to this, sending out much love and good vibes to you for getting together with me to talk about a type of shit that gets people like you and I all riled up. And this week, of course, is no exception. You're going to hear a recording that I did back in December of last year, actually, after Chris, Marley, and Sage and I went to a Bantu book festival in Soweto. This is not really a recap of the festival, though the festival was good, but this is actually about an example of partnership-centered parenting. It's an example of what this raising free people work can look like in a moment. This is about how I witnessed Marley in her element, right on time too, because tomorrow is Marley's birthday. March 1st is her 15th solar rotation. Happy almost birthday light beam. So it's right on time, just as I shared some gems through Sage close to her birthday. I'm going to keep that going. All right. So the details for this, y'all, are going to be on the show notes page, raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 107. And if you take a look at the site this week, you're going to see that some links are broken. Some images are missing. We are updating the site, a whole new site. I'm so excited. It's going to be so much more functional and useful and party. (laughs) So Chris is working on that. Shout out to Chris, my love, love for always making the branding so dope. So yeah, you'll see some broken links and thing. But if you're looking for anything in particular, shoot me a message from the site or send me a voice memo from the site and I will direct you to the right place. Right, quick, and as always, before we get to listening, let me take a moment to thank all my patrons and to shout out the three new ones we have this week, Sarah, Kathy, and Julia. Thank you, Sarah, Kathy, and Julia, for joining us. You will get to see video snippets from Ubuntu Book Festival. I'm going to post those. I've probably already posted them if you're listening to this by now on Patreon. So yeah, enjoy that. And thank you for being part of what helps me to make this weekly production process sustainable. I now have some support. We have a co-producer, Fatima Mukadam. Shout out to Fatima, another unschooling mama. She's South African and is also a part of a family of digital nomads. We were like screaming at how much we had in common (laughs) when we connected. And so shout out to Fatima for helping to produce the show every week. 
We also have Juan Perez, a brilliant and patient audio editor based in Colombia. Shout out to Juan. We do this in the shoestringiness ass budget ever. So anything that you all can contribute in support of this through Patreon in response to how much you get out of this podcast is deeply appreciated. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Akila. Do a one-time donation through the PayPal link that's in the description section. That's in the middle of the main page. Or do a monthly donation of any amount through the options on the right side of the page. This podcast is freeing families up to practice liberation work in partnership with their children and broader communities. So that is powerful and important. So support the work however you can. Patreon is one way to do so. Thank you, good people. Here are my chattings and reflections on partnership-centered parenting mojo through Abantu Book Festival. Enjoy. There are so many benefits to what happened to the four of us when we decided to listen to our daughters and break them out of school. We are constantly surprised by the experiences that we end up having, the places that the work takes us. The four of us have just been constantly just sharing our experiences about the elements of surprise that come up in the experiences that we have day to day. And because we move together in this particular way, we get a chance to be really sort of reflective because we are not stuck on schedules like a school schedule we get a lot of time to be reflective independently and together. And because of the conversations we have together, I realize, yeah, they're doing it independently too, as are we, because the way that they're able to connect as girls who are 14 and 12, the ways that they're able to connect their experiences to broader topics in the world, broader issues in the world, seeing themselves as part of larger groups and not just as like two girls doing their thing. That for me is one of the reasons that I believe so much in unschooling as a means of liberation work, because I do think that the way that I observe Marley and Sage moving about the world is indicative of a freedom and a confidence in your self and your capacity to make decisions and whether you need someone else and what needing someone else looks like, you know, the sort of things that I feel like we sort through late in adulthood, not late as in it should happen sooner, but late as in we can absolutely practice these skills. We don't have to happen upon some sort of personal trauma before we start to really understand ourselves and understand some of the mechanisms that we might have developed or maybe can avoid if we are given more space earlier in life, I keep using the same phrase, but to explore and express ourselves, to explore who you are, what's happening in the world, your perspectives on the world, your willingness to maybe help solve things in the world. This is what we as unschooling families nurture and facilitate and try to pay attention to, because that's how it's connected to social justice work. Every person, particularly those of us who fall into the dominant society's perspective of margins, particularly Black folks, particularly people of color, and particularly children. That's another group. 
that is othered and marginalized in ways that are damaging and then follow us into adulthood. But before we even get to adulthood, right now, this liberation work says, what can we do to not get in the way of children's freedom, like while we are children? I feel like there's so many benefits to us living together and moving together in this way. And last weekend, an experience I had really brought this to the forefront in a way that I want to share. We needed space where Black people and Black culture could find true expression. He was talking about Blackness outside the white gaze that we've been schooled and standardized into. Yeah, the very same one that many of us are unschooling to make sure that our children recognize. So it's really beautiful that Thando Olazana, a South African author here, started a Bantu Book Festival. And that's where this story takes place. We are here in South Africa in 2018 and got to be at this third one because it started in 2016. So it was Thando Umgolazana, along with the help of a novelist, Panache Chigumadzi. They started the first one and it was so wonderful to go and be part of something that is specifically designed as part of this larger decolonization project and idea about writing about Black literature outside of the white colonial gaze, what that means and why we should have a space exclusively for that. I definitely connect with that because the podcast, Fear of the Free Child, is an exclusive space where Black folks, Indigenous folks, people of color can completely find true expression that isn't centered on the white gaze, that isn't this anthropological focus on Blackness or color where you are part of this larger movement where everything and everybody else is focused on whiteness. And it's you and your friends, as he said in an interview, it's just like you and your friends and the people who are serving. If you're at a book festival in France, there's no real equitable representation outside of the white gaze of people of color, of Black folks in particular, of Africans. And so he did something about that. And that's beautiful to be part of that and to be able to do that together with our daughters as opposed to some predetermined curriculum about what they should be learning at the ages that they are. The festival was rooted in that intention for creating space for Black writers and Black stories outside the colonized eye. So not just inclusion in the white festivals, but our own thing. Beautiful. So the four of us, Chris, Marley, Sage, Niambi, and I, we drove to Soweto to witness our people raising vibration through words like Black folks have always done. We are storytellers, the best ones to tell our own stories and any stories we please. And so Marley decided that her story was that we saw Chimamanda speak, security declarations be damned. So we got to Mafolo, which is in Soweto. We got there like an hour early so that we wouldn't get caught up in what we thought would be really long lines. When we got there and got through the gate, that was easy. Parking was easy. It was a small crowd. There was a small crowd against a fence, kind of right as you pass the gate. 
that surrounded this large metal tent. It was like a portable event structure. That's where Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie was going to be in conversation with Pumla, who is a Black feminist professor. You know, the type of conversation that I would just like get snacks and be sitting in my bed watching and taking in with my whole entire being. I was going to get a chance to do that live. And when I told Chris and the girls about it, they were hype because they all mess with Chimmy for different reasons. Chimamanda, sorry, nickname Chimmy. <laughs> so they all value her work for different reasons. And I value her work maybe for different reasons than them. But they were also like super hyped for me because they know how important she is for me as a Black feminist writer, mama how important her work is and her ability to speak to things as she sees them and be willing to engage in conversation around topics that influence and affect her and the world and her Blackness and her identity as an African woman. They know how much of a connection I feel. And so they all were like, yes, let's do this for all of us. But Akiva gets to do this. And I could feel that. So when we got there, they said that we weren't going to be able to get in because that tent structure that I told you about was at capacity. And so they couldn't let more people in. And they had expected that the people and the audiences from the previous workshops that happened in that space would rotate out and then they would let more of us in. That didn't happen because people stayed because they wanted to see Chimamanda and Pumla in conversation. So that was it. Somebody from the event came and talked to us about it, an event organizer, as well as security. They told us they're at the capacity of 500 seats. The people who were in there didn't leave because like us, they wanted to see Chimamanda and Pumla talk about feminism, Blackness, queerness, the writing process, and general African woman dopeness. Can you, can you just hear me? It's what stage first come first up is the Unfortunately, we cannot accommodate everyone. I can't allow you guys to come in because if I allow you to come in, that's a safety risk to everyone that's in the bed. So, unfortunately, we are streaming it live via the KFM. So, um, people in official looking vests said it wasn't happening. So, we all said, all right, we walked the four of us over to the restaurant across from the fence and took the advice of the organizer. We would watch it from the TVs that they had set up to manage the overflow. And we would soothe our disappointment with good food and good books. All right, set up. So we sat at our table. We relaxed ourselves. We're feeling comfortable in the space. It's always beautiful to be in South Africa and hear like the variety of languages spoken in one place and eat good food. And so we sat at our table and I offered to hold a table while anyone who wanted to walk around the festival could do that. So Sage and Chris were pretty sure that they didn't care about walking around. So Marley and I said, yeah, we would walk. The minute we walked out of the restaurant area, Marley looked over at the crowd where we were standing, where we'd already said, all right, let's move on. We're not going to see Jimmy in person. Marley stopped behind the crowd of people around that fence. And she was like, are people getting in? She craned her neck to like the little cuties on Meerkat Manor. Y'all watch that show? <laughs> she walked over and I'm still standing on the other side like, where's she going though? So I'm watching her and she walked over there and she started chatting with people in the line and 
I could see her eyebrows. I could see her face. I walked over there and they had confirmed her suspicion. They were still letting people in. So I got hopeful again, but after a few minutes in the line, people were getting irritated and them start talking about riots that might happen. And I was just ready to go. Right, exactly. They're not trusting. I told Marley that I didn't think it was worth it to stay there and soak in all of the anxious vibes, you know? And she said, okay, you can walk around. I have my phone, but I'm going to stay here because people are getting in. I said, okay, so you feel comfortable here? And she just looked at me like, if you don't, I was like, okay. But, and I walked off. And then in the middle of walking off, I was like, but I want to see Chimamanda too. <laughs> so she saw me and she was like, I'll call you when I'm about to get in. And then like two minutes after that, I said, okay, put my stuff away, started to walk away, but kind of was watching the line and it started moving. So I just went back over. A couple of minutes later, we were in. That was it. So we went in, we found seats. I said, all right, I'm going to hold these seats down. I'll stay here in case I got to get rowdy. Like in my mind, it was a fight, right? And Marley was like, all right, I'll go get dad and Sage. She was back in like two minutes with them, even though there was still a line of people because it was a glass structure I could see clear through to the line. She just was like working the <laughs> security people. It was like, yeah, we have seats saved for them. Yep, those two come on in. And she just brought them back in and there was no issue with me and the seats. Everybody was fine. People were high-fiving each other like, yeah, we got in. And I just started recording all the beautiful blackness all around me. Y'all, the colors people's hair. Oh my God, the hair. Everything from really intricate cornrows to like box braid extensions to mohawks to, uh, yo, <laughs> it just felt like I was like swirling around in beautiful colors. And then on top of that, the songs that the organizers were singing as they occupied us during the delay of Chimamanda's arrival. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the four of us were in and we were experiencing all of that and they were having some slight issues with the generator. So the fans kept shutting down as well as the monitors that were showing us in the back, the video footage of what was happening up front. Those kept shutting down and then the audio, but eventually they opened up, they moved some of the panels so that some breeze was running through. Then the generator started working again. I think they went and got gas for it. And it was great. The audio was great. The vibe was great. The conversation was great. We left there on a high. <laughs> I'd gotten so much footage. I went towards the front and the security just like made a spot for me in the front to record as much as I wanted. And then we left there and went and looked at the books. We bought some books, got something to drink, supported some vendors as they supported our bellies. 
and then we drove around Soweto. I get to know a little bit more each time we're out in the world together. I do. And this time I got to see like how she pushes back against the walls that the world puts up. Or sometimes I get to see how she climbs over some walls, like the ones between us and the person that she knew she went to Abantu Book Festival to go see speak, which was Chimamanda. So I got to see the evolution of a characteristic, a way that she's always been since she was born. She has this way of glaring at what feels like unfair to her and then pushing through it with a resolve that I respect so very much. Because she knows, like most people do, when something feels wrong or when she's being wronged. She knows that. And that Friday at that book festival, I watched her not just know it, but respond to it. Not react to it, respond to it. She went towards the crowd. She listened. She asked questions. She assessed how people's responses to those questions made her feel. And she decided what she wanted to do about those feelings. She decided that their truth, no Chimamanda and Pumla, was not her truth. She dodged them drones like rain puddles when you rock in cute sandals. I promise you. Like, we got in on Marley's decision to get in. Nothing else makes sense. (laughs) This is why I continue to say that my daughters are my life guides. Through them, I learned so much about the power of partnership. I have practice now letting Marley navigate situations without me standing between her experience and her. With her, I often wait to be asked my opinion before I decide whether I'm going to give it. And she often disagrees with me. And I now have practice not taking that as a personal affront. Now I get to see it for what it is her moving about in her power, questioning what needs questioning, coming to clarity on her own time with her own thoughts. When I see this too, it gives me the space and the confidence to pause when I find myself ready to step in and change something about them with my words. I have practiced seeing how ego-centered my relationship with my daughters had been. Because if I was uncomfortable with something that they did, I made them change what they were doing. Imagine if they took that approach to other relationships. Imagine if what they practiced with me while growing up was to change their inclinations so that the person in power, me, is comfortable. There are people that I know and love today who struggle with that very same tendency to distort themselves to make other people comfortable. So how could I continue to give my children that to practice. I couldn't. So I started practicing something different. And to me, how Marley handled the festival, that for me was an example of how she is becoming practiced in confident autonomy, which is the very core of unschooling for us. It's a commitment to practicing being in adult-child relationships that mirror partnership, not control. And then as it turns out, that same dynamic plays out in adult relationships too. It's just another reminder for me that unschooling is just far more than an educational approach. It's a practice that heals relationships by defining them from 
liberation and consent based spaces. And in this work, I recognize that my children are their own territories. And if I'm not careful, I will colonize them. I can't participate in those systems. And so I practice a liberation minded approach to being a mother and a woman and a friend and a resource. And in some ways, this work is about recognizing that I have already, in some ways, colonized my children. They used to be afraid of me. I'd hit them before. I stood tall and set fear-based boundaries because I could, and because I was sure that that's what needed to happen. But what set me right was the disruption of an unexpected and messy path to something we found out later was called unschooling. Through this process, we developed a way of living and growing together that found us less and less in each other's way and more and more finding a collective rhythm as well as space for our individual interests to take shape and to get supported. And as you are developing your own practice around what it means to unschool and de-school from what you've been taught, and to really develop a way of being with the children in your life that is rooted in partnership and liberation-mindedness, look out for the small examples of the ways that they practice confident autonomy. Look out for the ways that they push for something and practice not getting in the way of that. Practice observing it. Follow your children sometimes. Sometimes that's what your guidance and leadership needs to look like, following. Thank you so much for being here for episode 107. Go check out the links through raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 107. Also join us on Patreon so you can see video clips from Abantu Book Festival, but also some pictures and things from around Soweto. All right. And listen, please don't forget to share this episode with a friend or two if you were feeling it. You just passing on this link to somebody else makes such a huge difference in someone's life and helps us to spread the word about this option to raise free people. So don't be selfish. Share the goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening and I will chat to you next week. Peace. Peace.